0: Welcome to Westside Unscripted. This is the podcast where pastors loosen their ties, throw away their notes, and answer questions about all things theology and culture. I am Josh Bartels, the assistant to the pastors here at Westside, and I am joined by our preaching pastor, Peter Montoro. We are going to start the podcast just a little bit different than typically. Before we get right into the question of the week, uh, we want to have a moment to for Peter to share something interesting that he's been reading, and he has. Mounds upon mounds of books that he reads, and so he's. There's but they're not always, all interesting. They're not always interesting, but there's enough that he reads. That there's hopefully, something there's something interesting <laughs> in there
1: in the mounds in the mounds of reading material. Hopefully, there is something that would be of general interest.
0: And so, what what do you got this week? What did you? So been I got reading? two
1: things. One is a one is a a sentence that just really stuck out to me in an article that I was reading. It says, "And just as some people believe that their enemy's enemy is their friend." So they believe that the enemy of the incompetent must be competent. And that really stuck out to me because (laughs) there are a lot of incompetent institutions in our society, and there are a lot of people who make a career of pointing out those incompetencies. um, But the fact that you can see an incompetency does not necessarily mean that you have the competence to uh, address it from positive. And that that kind of fits with another sentence that I mentioned, I think, in a QA. and a a few weeks ago, that uh, calling out a heresy is easy. You know, condemning her- condemning a heresy and saying, that is false teaching. That is that is relatively easy thing to do. And of course, it's something that we must do, but it's harder to, and what we need to do, the harder thing and the thing that we need to do is to see the question to which the heresy gives a bad answer and give it a right answer. Yeah, good. And so just socially, you know, Simply because someone says, you know, this organization or this entity has uh, some incompetency going on, that does not necessarily mean that the person who sees that <laughs> has anything better to offer. In fact, what they have to offer in some cases can be substantively worse. Um, yeah.
0: We might and, not want to just plug them in immediately to the top of the institution and hope that they write it out better.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or just, you know, to, to put it in more practical terms, um, the fact that uh, there might be some concerns by some claims made by the CDC does not mean is your uncle's Facebook wall is necessarily any better, Um, you know, and you know you could apply it to a lot of different areas, but that really was an interesting So that's
0: number one. What do you got number two?
1: Number two is this book. You can't see it, but it's called The Teeth of the Lion. It's a real rugged title. The subtitle is The Story of the Beloved and Despised Dandelion. Mm. And so I've been doing a lot of reading in preparation for Men's Retreat. And uh, this is some of it. So if you're wondering what dandelions have to do with Rocky's training sequence in the first Rocky movie, you have to come to Men's Retreat and find out Mm. because there is a connection between the two of them. A
0: nail-biting teaser. I don't know if it's nail-biting, but it's a teaser. (laughs) So so show up to find out what those two things have in common and what they have in common with you because they don't just have something in common with each other. They have something in common with you. And With so, you so, as in the listener, as in the or? listener, yeah, yeah, yes. They well, everybody, right. us too. Right. I guess all of we're us. technically part of the listening audience. Yeah, supposed to so, listen so. to each other. So, <laughs> yeah. so the question this week that we're going to dive into it comes from one of our members, as all these questions do. And simply put, what happens when we take communion? We gather, obviously, and we distribute bread and grape juice, and we bless it and we eat it, but. What is actually happening? Some people believe that it is becomes the body and blood of Jesus, that we are physically actually imbibing the blood and body of Jesus. Uh, others believe it's the symbolic. What should we think of what's happening when we take communion on Sunday?
1: Yeah, well, that's a really good question. And uh, like a lot of these questions, it's a question that, uh, um, you know, is something we'll be coming back to Um a lot of times, uh, is the idea of theological triage, that there are things that we must not believe, and there are things that we can believe, and then there will be usually something that I think we should believe, um, or that is at least the view that I would hold. And so the first view that we don't want to hold is a, you know Roman, Roman Catholicism. Roman Catholicism uh, teaches uh, what's known as transubstantiation. That's the official dogma of the Church. So transubstantiation is the belief that the... The elements of the supper retain the appearance of bread, so the, the accidents, as it were. So it, it still tastes like bread, it still feels like bread, it still weighs like bread. But the hidden reality of, of the bread has become um, the flesh of Christ. Uh, and so it's a very careful uh, parsing out in sort of pseudo scientific language of exactly what is happening to the bread. Um, But the real problem with Roman Catholicism, so we shouldn't hold to that. That's not something that you would get any hint of out of scripture. So we should definitely not go down that route. But the real problem with the Roman Catholic teaching isn't actually the transubstantiation. That's a problem. I think no one should believe that. So just to be clear on that. But the deeper theological problem and the one that the Reformers responded to is the question of who is offering the supper. So in the Protestant view, and I think in the biblical view, the supper is a gift from God to us. In the Roman Catholic view, the supper is a representation of the sacrifice of Christ that the priest is re-sacrificing or re-representing Christ. Um, and so therefore, it can be a means of gaining merit with God. So the priest is offering, the, uh, re-offering Christ as a gift to God the Father. And that is why you can say masses for the dead, for instance, uh, because it's a means of obtaining merit with God because you're offering a sacrifice. So it's a sacrifice of the Mass. So the way in which Christ is present in the Mass is a problem, but the deeper abomination, blasphemy of the Mass uh, is <laughs> is the idea that it's a representation, it's a re-offering of Christ, it's a sacrifice. So that's the fundamental, that's the point that we must not budge on, is this is something that Christ gives to us. He's the one who's serving us. We're not serving him, so there's no possibility of gaining any merit, so that's the first fundamental. I, I sort of, I should have started with that and then moved to how Christ is present. Um, but we're doing this live, so hey. you get to hear me on my feet thinking, um, except I'm sitting down. But you know, anyways, moving forward with 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 the supper. Um, so you have the idea that it's a something that Christ offers to us, not something we offer to Christ. So then you have the question of how Christ is present, and in In that, now that we're on sort of the Reformation side of that debate, um, you have Luther had a very strong view of the presence of Christ, um, and so Luther's view is often referred to as consubstantiation, which is a way of affirming the presence of Christ, and Luther's view is kind of unique to him, and it's very confusing. Um, So he believed that Christ—the bread remained bread, but Christ was in with and under the bread and the wine, and— that was never—many thousands of pages have been written about it, and no one has still quite figured out exactly what Luther thought that he meant when he said that. Um, but anyways, that's the Lutheran view. So Luther Lutherans would have a very high view of the presence of Christ uh, in the supper. And then you have sort of the Zwinglian view at the other end, which is almost if wherever Christ is present on earth, the supper is the one place he's not present. Um, so a very, very much a a mere you know, an emphasis on it's a memorial, Christ is not present in the supper— um, and, is Zwingli
0: and, responding to to uh, Luther at that point? Or are they interacting on this point?
1: They are interacting. In fact, okay. this is the point that kept the reformers from um, Zwingli. So, you know, Zwingli was the early Swiss Reformation. Luther's the early German Reformation. And this was the point that kept them from coming together. Um, so there's, a, I think it's called the Marburg Colloquy. Um, that was a, in you know, in the early days of the Reformation, that they could they could agree on everything, but they couldn't agree on the supper. Um, and, and so they, you know there's this moment in the disputation where uh Luther has written in Latin uh yeah Hacus corpus meum this is my body and he writes it in chalk on the table and there's a tablecloth and at some dramatic moment um he rips the table because he's like this it's it's Christ's body this is, this is this is this is this is the body of Christ and they're debating and at some point he rips the tablecloth off and there's the words that he's written in chalk and he's really like <laughs> you know they they are not getting along on this issue so those are sort of the two extremes of sort of Protestant positions. Calvin comes along, and Calvin sort of works as a mediating figure on the supper. So Calvin has a strong sense that Christ is present uh, in the supper, um, but he doesn't. He doesn't go to the extremes that Luther does. And in Calvin's view, is that really we're united to Christ by the work of the Spirit. So Christ. So in in uh, the reform in the reform view, uh, which would be the view that I would hold to, um, the the ascension of Christ is very significant. So the fact that Christ took on flesh, he still has a human body, but that human body is not here. So we're united to Christ, and we're united to him in his humanity, but his humanity is absent from us. Um, And so what unites us to Christ is the Spirit. So... When we take the supper or when we, we do anything that unites us to Christ, it's not that Christ leaves heaven and comes down to earth because that would require a, a physical movement of his body, which will only happen at the end. But our spirits, through our union with him and through the connection of the Holy Spirit can bring us to where Christ is. Um, and Paul talks about the supper using the language of communion, that he says you can't be partakers at the table of the Lord and the table of devils, that there's a real union that takes place between us and, and this the idea of union with Christ, that we are united by the Spirit to Christ right now, and we're placed into Christ. You know, I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, John says, Paul talks about being in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, united to Christ over and over again. This is language that Paul uses, and it's also language that he uses of the supper in particular, that we are... We're communing with one another, and we're communing with Christ. Uh, And so I would see a sense that Christ is, is present in the supper in a way that is very left, you know, any idea of transubstantiation or anything like that, it really is left vague, and it's left vague intentionally. We're not told how Christ makes himself present, but we are told who makes Christ present, and that's the Spirit. So it's the work of the Spirit working through the Word, so the word and spirit work together to unite us to Christ uh, as we wait for His return to us. Um, and so I think there, you know, are going to be different views of seeing it as primarily a memorial. So there'd be some in our church who would ha- take that view, and that's certainly a view that is, um, that's you know, again, that's not my view. But it's not like you know, if you take one of these different views, you're a heretic or you're out of the bounds. You know, we haven't defined this in our bylaws one way or the other. Uh, so it's not in our statement of faith. Um, You know, that we take the Lord's Supper, you know, that we don't have the Roman Catholic sacrificial view, that we don't go down the transubstantiation or consubstantiation route, you know, that is, um, that's really important. You know, that we all share exactly the same view of how Christ is present. um, I I really, I think it's something that is, to a certain degree, vague in Scripture, and the more vague it is, the more room there is for us to hold different views. Um, I think one of the things, and I, I talked about this when we, the last time we took the Lord's Supper. That idea that it really is portrayed as a foretaste of the as a foretaste of the heavenly banquet. you know that idea that Christ has given us and, and Christ says this is you know that he gives us himself and there's this sense that in, in giving in giving the supper, we're participating in we, we are participating in the heavenly banquet, and we're we're drawn up into something that's bigger than ourselves. And it's it's that idea. It goes back to that idea that it's not something we're doing to impress God. It's a sign of God's grace that we are embodied creatures, and we've been given this as a means of as a means of participation. That it's the the embodied. You know, it's the just as we have the Word of God that has been Word written down. Um, so the uh, the word in the supper and in baptism, there is a there is a reality to it, a reality that we are participating in, um, in, a, in a very a very significant way. We talked about this a little bit on Sunday night uh, with the Passover, that it was very important that they they eat the Passover and it, they weren't saved, you know, they were saved by the grace of God. They weren't saved by some physical rite that they did, as though it had some sort of magical power. But yet at the same time, they really did participate in the, in, the, in their redemption by the blood on the door and by eating the Passover lamb there was a great emphasis that they had to eat it they had to eat all of it they had to to, to have a role to play and, and there really is there's really no way around it that there is a mystical element and by that it doesn't mean you know sitting around and meditating and you know humming and doing weird stuff it just means that there is more than we can dissect with our minds because there's a reality to it and that's you know, I could go, I could go on and on and on, but I think I've gone on for long enough but since, at this point.
0: So you mentioned like the memorial view. The memorial view would just be seeing the supper as a time to remember what Jesus has done, as opposed to anything of the Spirit being present in it. Is that is that how you yeah, would differentiate I, you, you, the memorial? You know, view? and I
1: think yeah, I think that would be. And you know, of course, you could have a memorial. You know, so I don't. I don't want to just reduce that to some, you know, sort of, you, know, you could have a more or less extreme, you know, just like you could have a, a more, you know, you could have a more or less extreme of Christ's presence with the Spirit, where you could, you know, get into some, you know, really weird stuff at the one end, or have a pretty moderate view, in the same time, you know, same way with the memorial view, you could see it as primarily primarily a memorial, but still, the Spirit is present in our services, the Spirit is still present, you know, so there's, it's like a lot of these things, you know, there's like a spectrum And sometimes how people think of it is even just their upbringing or even just the way that they think about life in general. So it's not like a hard and fast, I don't, I don't really see a, you know, when you're talking about the spirit doing the work, then as long as you believe the spirit is present doing, doing, doing the work, um, so if you believe the spirit is, so if you have two people who believe the spirit is present in the services and the spirit works through his word, um, then the one who takes the memorialist view, but, connects the work of the spirit less to the supper. You see it's going to be yeah. it's going to be a, it's going to be a spectrum where they both would see the spirit as working in some sense, but exactly how the spirit is working, but of course you know, we can never kind of nail the spirit down and pin him on our, our butterfly collection, as it were, to say, you know, exactly, here's where the spirit is and here's what he's doing. Um, it's always something beyond us. And I think anyone, anyone who's a faithful Christian is going to recognize that. And it's so there's why al- the
0: observance of the actual table actually regularly yes. coming together is so important because it actually doesn't matter so much what we think is happening as much as there is something objective happening when we yes. gather to yes. have the exactly. table. So obey, do it. Whether you understand it or whether you've been able to pin down the spirit to say this is exactly what's happening, yes. obey and trust that God is doing something. Whether we are, whether we understand it or not.
1: Yeah, and what we've been given clear instruction in is is that we are to do this. This is something we're to do. It's something we're to do regularly, um, and and it's something we're to do as a community. You know, so it's it's the supper is given to the church. It's not given to individuals to take. Um, and I know this is a trend, and I'm, I'm you know in. You know, broader sort of Christianity. Uh, and so I'm not meaning to condemn people, but I, I am meaning to disagree with them if you take, like, you know, two people taking private communion at a wedding ceremony. I don't think it's appropriate. Um, and again, I'm not like, you know, condemning someone. I know people who have done that. And I'm not against them or opposed to them, but I would disagree with that practice uh, because really there's a sense it, it belongs to the body. Um, it belongs to the body of Christ and it belongs to a particular body of Christ that's assembled and physically present there. So it doesn't, you know, another thing, it doesn't belong to a big conference. Um, It belongs to a a body that has boundaries. And that's why, you know, Paul gives his instructions on the supper in the context of church discipline. This is why, you know, we we remove people from church membership. We put them out of the body when they are acting as leaven in the midst or where, you know, whether by specific sins or even just by hard-heartedness to the obligations that we have to one another um, to attend and to be present because it really... It is intended to speak to the physicality of our bodies. That's the whole point. So we start cutting those things out. So I, I do not agree with virtual, <laughs> virtual communion services. It misses the point. Um, and so I think you know that would be one of the concerns I would have with a memorialist view is that, not that anyone who holds that view necessarily would go to those extremes, but that, that's sort of a prerequisite for you know, for that kind of of mindset of thinking not much is happening, so we can, you know, adjust it to suit, you know, our circumstances, whereas really, it is is a vital reason, one of the vital reasons that we gather, it's important, and we, you know, the one hand, you know, the sort of salvific significance that's given to it in Catholicism, we should steadfastly stand against that, Um, but we shouldn't Allow the excesses or the the mis the, the misdeeds of others to take away from us a precious treasure that Christ has given to us to to taste at the heavenly banquet before we get to it, and and it's those moments when um when eternity in, in a sense enters time where we're we we are led up by the Spirit in into you know the God's future eternity and it is something supernatural there's something supernatural. Of course, something supernatural takes place every time God's word is proclaimed. So it's not like, you know, the service is all natural and then this one supernatural moment. Right. But, yeah. you know, we should see that this is supernatural as well, mm-hmm. among, among other, other things. So. Yeah,
0: that's good. So if people wanted to get some kind of primer on uh, Lord's Supper, communion, and the different approaches that's taken to it and how they should start thinking about it, what should, where should they go?
1: Hmm. I have a stack of primers on my to read shelf that I have not read yet. So it is something I'm planning on digging into. So I've done reading on it more in the context of like systematic theology and church life.
0: So if they wanted to dive into the deep end, then where should Uh, they go? I,
1: I am not just something that I would specifically recommend. Like it's something I've thought about a lot, but no titles are coming to my, I know there are good titles, and i have like four or five of them yeah. <laughs> in future projects i just haven't gotten through them yet so i'm not 100% sure
0: cool well maybe we'll circle around and recommend a book later but i believe we have a couple in the church bookstore uh, on the supper i think there's one in the nine mark series yeah so anything ordinances, you know. and you'd find so you'd find a couple of ecclesiastical books that cover have a couple chapters or something. Yeah, like that on yeah, the yeah. Supper. There'd be
1: some of those things. I just want, I'd, I'd want to, I'd want to read, I'd want to, you know, just given that it's such a, you know, topic where there's a lot of opinions, I'd want to, you know, read it 100% before I recommended it. But yeah, sure. there's a number of different things. Um. So we'll circle back to this. I just okay. have a number of things I'm, I'm sure, working on. I'm
0: sure the communion will come back up multiple times in different contexts and with different questions.
1: I'm so sure it will.
0: We'll we'll be back here again at some point in the future, which brings me to remind you that if you have a question that you would like to have Pastor Peter address, or if there's some follow-up question you have as a result of a conversation that you've heard on the podcast, then you can send those questions to me. My email address is josh at com, or you can just pass it on to me at church. Uh, either way it would work just fine. Uh, If you want to find our sister podcast where you hear preaching and teaching from Pastor Peter, like the teaching on the Passover that came this last Sunday night, and that will come more, we'll have another lesson on that uh, this coming Sunday night, then you can find that there at Bible Direction for Life. Uh, If you have any of those questions, send them my way. And uh, until next week, we'll be here at the church, plugging away at uh, the teaching and the preaching, and we'll be back with you next week. So come back next week for another episode of West Side Unscripted.